It is a sensation that makes you cough absolutely every morning before the sun begins to rise. The feeling that forces you to chuck three refreshing glasses of milk down your throat. An aeration sense of frustration. Yet, after a few minutes, an unexplainable feeling of complete overpowers your mind and body. It's the oldest tradition in the Mexican book, the taste of spicy food. In the preparation stages, the mitts of peppers and fire will make your throat itch for hours. The combination of such elements is too powerful for a regular audience to tolerate. However, Mexican families have followed this ritual since pre-Spanish colonization. Preparing and consuming spicy foods fills an empty void many Mexicans crave. In order to fill this void, Mexican dishes are prepared with delicacy and a kick of surprise. Such dishes include my favorite, my favorite food of all times, chilaquiles. Chilaquiles provide the perfect crunch and spicy element I crave every day. For those who are unfamiliar with this food, the traditional Mexican dish is composed of lightly fried corn tortillas and grilled onions, topped with either green or red sauce. Like many other foods, chilaquiles can be delivered in a variety of ways. Some may have the luxury of adding grilled steak or chicken on top of it. Others may choose to include fresh elements, such as guacamole and sour cream, in order to sustain the spicy flavor. I, on the other hand, consider myself pretty simple. Who am I kidding, though? I'm actually like just like the preparation time to be considerably short. As a result, I enjoy the simplest form of chilaquiles, onions, fried corn tortillas, and the spiciest sauce my mom can find in the fridge. Aside from the spicy component, chilaquiles symbolize the love and comfort of my home. Whether I'm visiting my grandparents in California or in my dorm in Athens, a play of chilaquiles reminds me of who I am. From my youngest memory, I remember constantly poking my head in my mother's open flame pan, lifting my tiny fingers to pick up a piece of fried tortilla before the big moment of her pouring down the salsa. Believe me, my mother did not care how young we were. She never made a mild salsa to accommodate her youngest kids. So I guess thank you, mom. Now I can't have a meal without the spiciest salsa in it. As I mentioned, as a kid, I always had the pleasure of being exposed to chilaquiles. Yet, this suddenly changed as I transitioned into college. I began to appreciate the warmth my mother chilaquiles brought. Yet, luckily for me, this dish can be easily stored and it's perfect for a leftover food. So sorry, mom. One day I'll learn to cook. Chilaquiles comes from the Asian world in the Aztec Nahuatl language that means chiles and greens. This Mexican dish has existed in the Mexican diets before colonization. It has even been traced back to the early Aztecs that inhabited the area. Today, we will take a more in-depth look at its main ingredient, corn tortillas. Throughout the history, tortillas have been a consistent, stable food item in the Mexican diets. Tortillas often serve as a supporting role and accompany many other dishes. Chilaquiles are a pure reflection of the very uses of tortillas. Tortillas are made from a moist corn-based dough and one up in a limestone skillet. The main ingredient, corn, can be traced back to the Mesoamerican period. It is believed to be first cultivated between 7,500 and 5,000 BC in the regions today known as Mexico and Central America. For the pre-colonization civilizations, such as the Mayans, Aztecs, and other regional cultures, corn became their staple crop, a tradition that is still visible in Mexican studies today, which we will discuss further. Some research even mentions that Mesoamerican civilizations pray to the gods and goddesses of rain and corn to have a good harvest season. Historians note that some even believe that the first human beings were created from corn dough. As the Mesoamericans began to cultivate the crop, each civilization named it differently. However, when the Spanish colonized the New World, it was called maize, believed to deprive from the indigenous Daniel language, maize. One of the creations the new crop brought 
was tortillas. The tortilla was the creation of a complex society above a nomadic bank level since this food item requires quite some time and lots of resources. In 1519, when Spanish conquistador Hernán Cortés arrived in Tenochtitlan, Mexico, he was able to taste his first tortilla, a gift from one of the Aztec leaders. Cortés was not impressed and instead aimed to perfect the food item. He renamed the cornflat bread as is known today, tortilla, meaning little cake, derived from the word torta. After the Industrial Revolution before World War II, the daily consumption of tortillas rose drastically. Alone, just in central Mexico, at least 85% of the population ate corn tortillas three times a day. With such a high consumption rate, the industrialization of corn tortillas needed to occur. The invention of dehydrogenization corn flour, known as masa harina, was revolutionary. My mother actually uses this corn flour weekly to make homemade tortillas. The invention was first created in San Antonio, Texas. By 1909, the practice had spread to Mexico. The initial inventors set up a small production, but it wasn't until 1949 when the Gonzalez family in Mexico used the innovation to mass produce this product. The family established the first commercial Nistamal corn flour plant in Mexico. Since then, the company has grown into Maseca, which is the largest corn flour and tortillas producer in the world. Maseca is also sold here in the United States and is actually my mom's favorite brand to purchase at a local store. Starting in the 1950s, Mexico was experiencing a stimulating economic growth with urban industrial development and large-scale modern agricultural production. However, this increase did not reach every corner in Mexico. Instead, it was only common in the urban cities. The growth period had already expired by the time it reached rural areas. Therefore, corn was the perfect food item since corn was very inexpensive, easy to grow, and able to convert to tortillas. Tortillas, along with beans and chile sauce, were able to provide them enough nutrition and calories for a worker to consume throughout the day. However, corn crops began to fail in 1943. The Mexican government began to support the expansion of export wheat at the expense of corn production. As a result, historian Enrique Ochoa notes that this set the stage for corn storages and price increases to occur. Then, the Green Revolution and the work of Norman Borlaug began to spread to Mexico. At first, the indigenous corn farmers in central Mexico were a bit resistant to change. Yet, the government abandoned its support of small-scale farmers instead cultivated specific high-yield corn hybrids and assets, large tracts of farmland, credit subsidies, and technology. By 1915, the Mexican government entered the tortilla business, with the state-supported Natimilizada Corn Flour Plant, Maiz Industrializado, Minza. The two companies, Minza and Maseca, often compete for the Mexican consumer. The Mexican government has even urged consumers to purchase corn flour, not fresh masa tortillas. As a result, Nistamran corn flour Tortillas are very convenient. They save time and labor and remain fresh while stored in warehouses. In the 21st century, as we reflect, we now know that the industrialization allowed manufactured tortillas to become more affordable in contrast to fresh tortillas. This has allowed the adoption of instant tortillas in the Mexican diet. However, at the same time, we have noticed how tortillas' prices are very elastic to changes in corn production. From time to time, we have seen how corn prices directly correlate with the prices of tortillas. Again, in 2006 and 2017, under Felipe Cardenas' presidency, another huge drop in production of corn occurred worldwide. Once again, the prices of tortillas in Mexico rose quickly. In addition, the shift in corn prices has been highly affected by the political implications of the North American Free Trade Agreement, often known as NAFTA. In 1990, President Carlos Salinas de Gorti and George H. Bush created the free trade area between the U.S. and Mexico, later joined by their third nation, Canada. The trade alliance became one of the world's largest free trade blocs. 
With a starting economy of 6 trillion and a population of 360 million, and then 10 years later, it grew to an economy of 12.5 trillion with a population of 430 million. As a result of the agreement, all three nations experienced drastic growth in each individual economy. However, from the beginning, Mexico's process was insufficient to address its long-run development challenges and well below its established potential growth rate. Although economists haven't really linked the progress with NAFTA per se, NAFTA history from the beginning has never been so clear and clean in the Mexican perspective. The introduction of maquilladoras in the Mexican and the U.S. borders has introduced a new wave of low wages, unsafe work environment, crime, and many more social issues, such as femicides. Many critics refer to the trade agreement as fail NAFTA, as many agree that there is still a very high level of illegal immigration, slow process and environmental problems, no real growth in wages, and traffic of illegal drugs. This rhetoric of fail NAFTA has been reinforced again by the tr President Trump. Let's listen to what Trump has to say regarding the NAFTA agreement. But, uh, we just ended a nightmare known as NAFTA. They took our... They took our jobs for a long time. They took it for a long time, and we now have a brand new U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. It's a whole different ballgame, and it's going to be great for this plant. It's going to be incredible for Michigan and for every place else in our country. The USMCA is the fairest, most balanced, and beneficial trade agreement we have ever signed into law. It's the best agreement we've ever made, and uh, we have others coming. And by the way, uh, the China deal two weeks ago, Time after time, Trump, along with other critics, have expressed how the trade agreement has harmed the U.S. economy. His movement for renegotiation is expressed in terms of getting Americans their jobs back. Yet, this story is a bit more complicated than stated. In the U.S., agricultural products have more than doubled in value over the time period of 1993 to 2003. In relationship to NAFTA partners, it has grown twice as fast in the international world. With the help of the federal government, U.S. farms receive subsidized and loans to help invest in better technology and increase production. As a matter of fact, many legislation, such as the 1996 landmark Federal Agricultural Improvement and Reform Act, also known as the Freedom to Farm Act, has been created in order to directly help domestic farming stay strong economic sector. As a result, the production of U.S. corn benefits intensively from machines, technology, and labor-intensive farm farming techniques, making the U.S. the top corn producer in the world. That's great and all for the U.S. economy. However, the problem comes when these subsidized products such as the corn, are introduced into other national economies, presenting a direct threat to their own homegrown products. This is exactly what happened with Mexico corn production, and we will examine further the case. To corn, the Mexican government is not self-sufficient when it comes to corn production. Mexico has not made the infrastructure investment necessary to reconstruct the Oregon economy. As a result, small Mexican farmers are not able to produce corn in high volumes. In return, the Mexican government has turned to U.S. experts for extra help. Alone, in just 2014, the Mexican government waived at least $2 billion in tariff revenues in order to satisfy the domestic need of corn. With the introduction of these subsidized U.S. agriculture exports, the domestic price of corn drops significantly, so low that the farmers are not able to survive off of their produce. With the introduction of U.S. crops, the market value of agriculture has dropped significantly, so much that the number of Mexicans employed in rural agriculture declined from 8.1 million to 6.8 million over the course of NAFTA. See, NAFTA does not have a unified test on agriculture. Instead, there are three separate bilateral agreements to negotiate the agriculture trade between all three states. As a result, there are no bylaws protecting any domestic product. Just as the ones I just presented along with others have led to the destruction of NAFTA and the creation of the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement signed in November 30, 2018. This agreement aims to save many problems, including the agriculture sector. The issues presented in NAFTA will long persist with both 
the U.S. and the Mexican economy. As a basic in the documentary, The Other Side of Information, a film that focuses on the impacts of NAFTA with immigration patterns between Mexico and the U.S., local Mexican farmers simply cannot afford to compete against the U.S. production. One mate notes that even if you invest $1,000 into a farmland, you run the huge risk of not even making half of it back. Even so, farmers do not even have the capital or the government invested to make such risk. As a result, many farmers are even left to abandon their jobs and go to their urban cities or even migrate to the United States. NAFTA, although recent renegotiation permits the free trade between Mexico, Canada, and the United States, the agreement has very great influence over the price of domestic goods. The agreement has allowed great benefits to each country. However, the policy has sustainably hurt local farmers for way too long. Majority of the small farmers do not have the access to the technology advances and other resources to keep corn sales low enough to compete with any international good. In 2018, the New Deal has been introduced. But what does this mean? That the same issues will still be presented because the agreement now just only addresses that the three nations will present zero tariffs on all agricultural products, including corn. So what are the possible solutions? The renegotiation of NAFTA, which is currently taking place and has already been adopted. However, this will not make drastic changes and we will have to wait a long term to actually see the result of the new bylaws. Secondly, we can add additional bylaws to the trade agreement. The new bylaws, I suggest, should control the number of subsidizes and the corn prices in both Mexico and the United States. Subsidizing the corn sector in the U.S. is only going to be beneficial in the short term, so maybe we should already start looking into long-term solutions. Finally, and the only thing that can be very controlled, is Mexico should find alternatives to stop importing so much corn. On a personal level, Mexicans can try to consume less corn on a daily basis from their diet. Today, we started with a very simple dish, and the satisfaction it has allowed me to feel over the years. Yet, this simple dish comes with a huge political implications attached. Its main ingredients has many challenges, and it affects the price of tortillas. Chilaquiles have always been very easy and affordable. Yet, once you sit down and actually analyze the implications of each ingredient, you start to realize how maybe accessibility does not mean the same thing for every single individual.